0: This is an AMI podcast. I'm Joytha Gupta, and this is The Pulse. The discourse around disability representation in film and television is multifaceted, existing at the nexus of art, business, politics, advocacy, and ethics. The discussion centers around who plays people with disabilities on camera and how disability is portrayed on screen the conversation goes deeper into issues of who writes scripts funding and box office returns on films about disability it's clear that people who benefit from on-screen disability representations have rarely been people with disabilities themselves but the hegemonic ableist representations of people with disabilities on and off camera is becoming evident to the film industry and broader public. Today we discuss the feature documentary Code of the Freaks. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My name is Jyotha Gupta. I'm the host of the program and it's great to have you with us. Just a quick reminder, this show is being hosted and produced from home as we do our part to practice social distancing during COVID-19. To keep up with the latest segments produced by AMI-audio dealing with COVID-19, please visit ami.ca forward slash COVID-19. The fifth annual Real Abilities Film Festival in Toronto begins today, May 20th, and runs until the 24th. The festival celebrates disability and deaf cultures through film and will be going online for the first time ever with virtual screenings and Q&As. Tonight, Real Abilities kicks things off with a screening of the feature-length documentary, Code of the Freaks. In the second half of the show, today, we'll be speaking with one of the film's writers, Susan Nusbaum. But first, the film's director, Salome Chasnov, joins us on Sky from Chicago to tell us more about her film, Code of the
1: Freaks. Salome, welcome to the pulse. It's so nice to have you. Thank you so much. I just may i say um may I insert one thing um. As you told your audience, uh, the show is being broadcast from home. I have a small dog in my home that occasionally barks at, uh, you know, passersby to uh, engage in conversation. And uh, so we might be hearing him periodically. His name is Jimmy, and he's super cute. And he just, he needs more conversation that he's getting in isolation, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, it's funny for those of us who have pets, uh, I mean, I don't, but a lot of my co- co-workers here do, uh, they often like to joke that the people who will be most hard hit when this is all over are the, are the pets, you know, the, the cats and the dogs are used to having their humans around and suddenly <laughs> you'll be back in the office. <laughs> so Salome, I must say I was really fascinated by your film. It was such a novel way to look at the issue of disability representation. I'm curious, what were you trying to accomplish with the film?
1: Well, I think one thing I picked up in your... Um, introduction. You know the concern for the people that play uh, characters with disabilities, and of course, that's a concern uh, among the makers of "Code of the Freaks" as well. But we were kind of focusing more on the who um, who's creating the messages, like who who the writers and producers and directors behind the scenes people, and the uh, kind of cliches, stereotypes, tropes, that uh, formulaic movie making is kind of bouncing off on, uh, continuing to get charged from, Uh, you know, the kind of the lack of true stories, stories that really represent people with disabilities, lives and experiences. And we were also really concerned with um, these, these impacts of these stereotypical kind of cheap shot stories, the impacts that they have on actual people's lives. Of course, people with disabilities, but the entire society who, uh, you know, we all live together and we affect each other. But also like, um, I guess what the movie's about is it kind of uh, it takes off from Todd Browning's freaks which was a 1932 film that uh took place in a sideshow in a carnival and the cast of uh, characters were all disabled people and um it had a sense of community that is so characteristic of people with disabilities especially activists crip community and um We took the so if you offend one you offend them all is a famous line from Mm -hmm. that film, and that was kind of our jumping off place in doing Code of the Freaks because we wanted to uh, penetrate the code. So not not just what are these stereotypes that characterize people with disabilities in Hollywood films, but what's the real code? among people with disabilities. And when you think
0: about the inceptions of Code of the Freaks, you have your beginnings with the movie Freaks, which as 1932, and then you really go on to build this exceptional timeline of disability representation going right up to the present day. How did you envision that timeline? And what kind of research did you have to do?
1: Well, um, let me tell you the background of our film, we began by Susan Nussbaum, who you'll be talking to next. She and I had been working on films for quite a while, like short films. We worked with uh, girls with disabilities. And um, she got this idea because she felt so... I don't know what the word is, oppressed watching Hollywood films with disabled characters. And she had been since she was a young woman and became disabled herself. And uh, she wanted to bring that argument out into the community. So we started gathering clips from movies and organizing them around themes, blind men and women, the miracle cure, you know, things like that, magical creatures. And we would take a theme and we would screen it before community-based audience and moderate a discussion. She would have the Discussion with Carrie Sandall, another writer producer on the film, and I, I would film it with uh, Jersey Rose, our cinematographer and editor. And we did this for a couple of years. We went around to all different kinds of communities and uh, generated all kinds of conversations. And people were really passionate about the topic and also blown away by some of the discoveries of what was going on and even their most beloved Hollywood films. So uh, that was the time we decided to start making the movie and we worked on it for like a decade. We all have other jobs and we never had enough money. So that's kind of what got us to where we are now kind of trudging along year after year. Uh, But But it's still a labor of love, right? (laughs) It really was. I want to ask you a little bit more
0: about something you said earlier on, which is, you know, you really wanted to think about the impact on real people with disabilities of these stereotypes that are perpetuated in a film and in television Salome, as a director, was there a degree of self-discovery for you here as well, when you got to appreciate a new, maybe the power of the media to shape public perceptions of a marginalized community?
1: You know, I've been working in this area for many, many years, uh, looking at media representations and how they construct and reflect our everyday lives. So I wasn't surprised by the impact that these um, discoveries contained for viewers and people that were involved, like interviewees, et cetera. I think I was pleasantly surprised with people's ability, especially the interviewees, but also people in the salons and other audience members. I was pleasantly surprised by people's ability to hold both truths. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, I love this movie. It touches me. It really... Um, it entertains me. I find it funny. And yeah, the, the, uh, representation of, uh, a blind woman sucks here. You you know what I mean? That's just kind of a random example. So I think, um, in the past when I'd worked with younger people and they'd be really upset to have their bubble burst when they develop the critical tools to look at media a little bit uh, more sharply. But, most of the people that we've been working with over this making of this movie have really been very comfortable holding both, both truths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's still a good movie. Yeah. It's just that it's the messages like it's good in terms of entertainment for me. Uh, but the messages are really damaging, uh, which I thought was interesting, you know, for myself, it's, I'm not, it's not that easy for me. I have mm-hmm. to really like a movie has to be, Quality in most ways for me. To, I, like if I if I just if I don't disapprove of the message, I generally don't like the film so much.
0: Um, one last question, I think, before we let you go. Uh, you know, there's been a major shift in Hollywood culture and movie culture as a result of something like the Me Too movement. Uh, we've seen Oscar to White. Uh, that's a that was a trending hashtag. Do you feel that in the ten years that you've spent working on this project? that issues of disability representation have managed to penetrate the broader consciousness, both within and outside of the industry, to the same extent as, let's say, issues of gender violence or racism.
1: No, I really don't. I mean, I think there are a few movies leaking through, you know, uh, Quiet Place, I think is a good example of... um, Casting uh, like a wonderful actress who, actually, was is deaf. But generally speaking, like I think people with disabilities are invisible to Hollywood, and Hollywood really embraces these old formulaic stories. And I think it's kind of the last frontier in terms of constructive, productive change in the stories we hear about. So yeah, I, you know, I really do. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Well, I think your documentary Code
0: of the Freaks is an important first step in that direction, an important way to start that conversation going. Samame Chesnoff, thank you so much for being with us today. It was such a pleasure to get to know you and talk to you about your work. Thank you so much. Thank you for including
1: Code of the Freaks in your schedule.
0: That was Salome Chasnov, who is the director of Code of the Freaks, which is going to screen tonight as part of the Real Abilities Film Festival in Toronto. and now my second guest is Susan Nussbaum. Susan is a Chicago-based writer, producer, playwright, and longtime disability rights activist. She is also one of three writers behind Code of the Freaks, which is screening online tonight at the Real Abilities Film Festival in Toronto. Susan, welcome to the Pulse. It is wonderful to have you with us.
2: Thank you. It's lovely
0: to be here. So. When I was talking to Salome, she said something that really stayed with me. She said, we really wanted to examine through this film the impact of cinematic representations on real people with disabilities. As a writer, were you thinking about the impact of disability representation and also the impact of the, of the work that you were doing in Code of the Freaks?
2: Well, yes, and, and I'd always been fairly aware of and disturbed by, enraged by the um, kinds of disabled characters I saw on screen. And I became really painfully conscious of it when I became disabled myself many, many years ago. And um, I would be, I was thinking all the time about what were, going to be role model who who were where was a place i could find any imagery about disability and because you didn't see the time in the year i became disabled there was there really were no rights for disabled people at that point there were no there was no where i live in in chicago there was no disability rights movement yet um and uh, so there was no place to put all this rage I was feeling about the what I knew to be lies in the way disabled characters were depicted on screen.
0: And how were they depicted on screen? I mean, were they seen as inspirational? Were they seen as lacking agency? In constructing the timeline that we see in Code of the Freaks, what were some of the overarching concepts that came to the forefront when you looked at depictions of people with disabilities?
2: Well, it's always kind of the same, because the movies are very, uh, you know, very much the same. And um, they may have different seeming topics, but they all weirdly end up as um, messages to audiences about how they should think about disabled people. And um, it doesn't really have – none of these movies have anything really to do with the disabled character. The disabled character is generally there to – make a point about the non-disabled protagonist. Mm-hmm. You know, like what a great person that protagonist, the non-disabled character is, because they, they're they nice enough to befriend a disabled character.
0: But then let me follow up on something you just said. You, you talked about how sure. the positioning or the portrayal of people with disabilities in movies, in television, really serves to benefit the character development of the non-disabled people in that feature. Can you give us a few examples? Yeah. I mean, the one that I can think about is, you know, uh, Anne Sullivan in, in 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 looking at the Helen Keller like, movie that was, I think, in the 60s, how really it seemed like Helen had very little agency of her own and it was all down to Anne Sullivan being this uh, savant almost.
2: Yeah. And, you know, it was... There's a lot of movies that, in fact, I can't think of any movies really, where the disabled character, even if the disabled character seems like they're pivotal to the movie, um, has where the disabled character is really what the movie is about and Mm -hmm. the journey of that disabled character. It's usually much more in the vein of how is the non-disabled public and and the um how is uh, the character the non-disabled character on screen going to respond to the disabled character is the dis- usually it's something along the lines of the non-disabled character is flawed but searching for some kind of Uh, You know, to be, for a new uh, way of looking at their own lives. So they then somehow meet a disabled character, and at first they are kind of turned off by the disabled character. Through the um, course of the movie, they become almost the disabled character's savior and very close, and they become, the non-disabled characters become much Better people, apparently, and uh, they evolve personally through their relationship with a disabled character, who by the end of the movie is usually dead or institutionalized or commits suicide or somehow finds a way to be slightly more uh, fit into society slightly better.
0: When we, okay, mm-hmm. if we If we can just sort of uh, rewind the tape a little bit. I take us back to some of the Ooh. movies in the 1930s. You know, Freaks is really the movie where you start your examination and then you look at other movies like Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Do you find that disability serves oh, a particular... Whatever a particular function in the horror and uh, exploit exploitation genre, where it, it, it almost takes on a, a stand-in for a lack of morality or a disability equates rather uh, in a, in a in a rather uncomplicated fashion with portrayals of the grotesque.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's true. And uh, oh god, it's unbelievable. And the characters are even named. Horrible things, Um, Mm -hmm. doctor poison, and you know, doctor no, and they're all they're all. Sometimes it's even just the body part that is uh, the one body part that may contain the disability within it is the evil part of the person. Mm -hmm. It's hard to explain. These plots are so off the wall, but they are incredibly formulaic, and they they continually appear ever since the beginning. In fact, the movie Freaks turns out to be a real deal-breaker. I mean, it, unlike other movies, Ends up putting the disabled characters much more it 's more than disabled one disabled character, which is also notable because usually the disabled character appears in movies in a world full of non disabled people, so you don 't even see that disabled character ever interact with another disabled character, as you do in freaks um, there 's a whole culture and society in that movie and um, we started at Freaks, and um, the deeper and deeper we got into these films, the more horrified we became. Mm-hmm.
0: If you were to think about the ways in which disability intersects with things like race or gender, you spend a lot of time exploring those intersections in Code of the Freaks. Can you mm-hmm. tell us about what you found?
2: Yeah, Um For example, there um, may be a a character who appears in movies with that disabled character who may be white, is white, for example. Um, That white disabled character is seen through a lens of um, pity and but somehow manages to um, survive. Whereas when the character is anything but white, there is a totally different take in this series of, you know, in the way the character is portrayed in the movie. the character becomes kind of helpless in a Mm -hmm. sense and is weakened in order to, I think, to um, make him less threatening to a white audience, which Mm -hmm. is um, a large, I mean, these kinds of movies where black disabled characters are, for example, are seen as being very, very good but too disabled to fit into society um, are also portrayed as very nice, very passive, very uh, innocent so that a a white audience is going to see black actors on screen. in a way that's not going to be problematic for them to accept.
0: Susan, it's hard to describe you... unless you see it. It is. And, you know, I really appreciate that you took, made an attempt at it. I just want to say how much I appreciated and enjoyed Code of the Freaks. It was a wonderful uh, documentary, and I hope that others can check it out as part of the Real Abilities Film Festival. Susan, thank you so much for speaking to us today.
2: Oh, thank you so much.
0: It, it was, was a fun. pleasure. That was Susan Nussbaum, one of the three writers behind Code of the Freaks. Code of the Freaks is screening online tonight, May 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time at the Real Abilities Film Festival in Toronto. Tickets are pay what you can and require registration on the screening's Eventbrite page. For more information, visit realabilities.org forward slash Toronto. We will also share some links on our blog at ami.ca forward slash On The Pulse. And remember, the Real Abilities Film Festival runs until May 24th, so be sure to check out some great films and documentaries that are part of the lineup this year. I'd like to remind you about our podcast that is available on your favorite podcast platforms. In case you missed any of our conversation today or previous episodes, you can catch them all online as podcasts. You know, it's a wonderful thing to experience firsthand and to think through film and television as a way to mediate the experience that we have when we think about people who are different from us. For two and a half hours or 10 minutes, whatever be the length of the film or documentary, you are carried off into a different world from from the one that you know. And that goes to show how important film and television truly is in trying to erase some of the stigma and isolation experienced by people with disabilities. And it really feels as though, although historically, the representation of people with disabilities on film, in film or in television, has left a lot to be desired, we are truly turning a corner and works like Code of the Freak's are such an important way to start that conversation. So I'd really like to thank uh, the show's director, Salome Chasnoff, who was my guest in the first half of the program, as well as thank Susan Nussbaum, who was one of the three directors of Code of the Freaks, the Pulse is produced by Enrica Delanerold. Sam Robinson is our technical producer. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. With special thanks to Paula Denine, who is technical supervisor. We'd love to get your feedback. However you'd like to give it to us, you can tweet at AMI-audio, use the hashtag Pulse AMI, and find us that way. Thanks a lot for listening to the program. This has been The Pulse on AMI-audio, and I've been your host, the Gupta. Have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.
1: Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.